Bibles, if you will, to Genesis chapter 21. I've got a lot of ground to cover today, and so we're going to jump right into uh, today's text. I appreciate your leaving the uh, spittle rows here in the front row clear, so because I spit a lot whenever I preach. You guys are in trouble over here, so just you know, put your mask on or cover yourselves up or something today. I've got a lot of words to say, so uh, I'll say them this way so they don't get all over you. Uh, yeah, Genesis chapter 21, I'm going to jump into the text, and then we'll talk about why it's going to take a little, bit, a, lot, a little bit of time today, so um, uh, uh, bear with me as we, as we go. Let me get to where I can control my, uh, my slides here, and we'll go from that. I'll get you guys kind of help me there. <coughs> verse uh, chapter uh, 21, verse 22, at that time, Abimelech and Philcol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Say, all that you do all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not, de- not deal with falsely with me, or with my descendants, or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. Abraham reproved, or what that means, rebuked or scolded Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. The two men made a covenant. Abraham set, uh, set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what is this meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you set apart? <coughs> he said... These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand. From my hand, this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore, uh, uh, therefore, that place was called Beersheba because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Philcol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. (coughs) Excuse me. Let me pray for us, and we will uh, come again. Hey, will you come and check this iPad for me while I pray? Uh, God, we love you. We need you. Uh, God, it is my prayer, Holy Spirit, that you would use us today. Use me today as your servant, and use this uh, text today to teach us something about you and about the way you love us in the ordinary things of life. Help us, O oh God. We desperately need you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, sometimes when you read the Bible, do you feel like God just kind of majors in the spectacular? You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> I mean, we've talked about it already a lot in Genesis. I mean, he spoke the world into existence. We read that early in Genesis. Uh, he rained down fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, later we'll see that uh, he sent the plagues on Egypt and he parted the Red Sea. And those are the big stories that we know and we like to talk about. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry. <clears throat> Somebody pray for that for me. Seriously. He provided manna in the wilderness and brought water from a rock. You know, that's, that whole story. And we could go on and on. Thank you. Um, we can go on and on about the way that uh, God provides and God does spectacular things uh, in the, and the mighty deeds that he does in the text. And all these things are true and wonderful. The problem is, is this very thing. Most of us don't live in the realm of the spectacular. I mean, most of us don't live in the spectacular 
things of life. We live in the daily, ordinary routines of life. I mean, what do you do on a regular day? On a regular day? You get up and get ready for work. You get up and get ready for school. You, uh, you go shopping for groceries. You go try to find some toilet paper, right? Yeah. Uh, you go and you, find, you, you kind of keep your household in order. And, and sometimes we may wonder, how does God really fit into this ordinary life of mine? I mean, how does God really, how does God really make a difference in the ordinary things of life? How does God fit, this is the question, how does God fit with ordinary people? How does God fit with regular Joes and Janes like you and me? I mean, after all, in the history of the church, I mean, not many of God's people have been able to speak to pack stadiums around the world like me and Billy Graham, uh, Oh, wait, I'm, I mean, just Billy Graham. I mean, I, mean, I mean, not many people get a chance to do those kinds of things. Most of God's people are simple, ordinary folks who just do their business, who do the work of the ministry, who live ordinary lives, except for one thing. Their lives count for eternity. Their lives count for eternity because they're willing to be used by God to make a difference in the time that we have here. That's what makes ordinary people extraordinary. I mean, if you think about Abraham's life, you really think he was really just an ordinary man. He was just an ordinary guy. He had he had tremendous faith and obedience, and uh, he wasn't. Um, his life wasn't made up after uh, one spectacular event after another. I mean, I know those are the things that normally get preached about—the big spectacular things. But normally, in the life in Abraham's day, would be he gets up, makes sure the animals are being cared for. You know, he has to care for any sick animals that might have fallen during the night or hurt themselves during the night. You farmers know what I'm talking about with that. I'm sure he had servants who had squabbles, and <coughs> he had to deal with servants and all their little petty things that they had to deal with. And, and the big spectacular thing that happened was his son Isaac was born. And that was, that was spectacular because why? Abraham was so what? Oh, yeah, he was old. And that was a spectacular thing for him to actually be able to father a child. So his life, though, was fairly routine, except he was used in God's great plan of blessing the nations. And in today's text, we'll see Abraham in a scene from his ordinary life. And I almost skipped this section. Literally, as I was getting ready to preach and we wrapped up last week's text, I was like, you know what? Let's just kind of skip over this. This is just kind of some words and nothing really is happening here because it was just kind of just ordinary. But I believe we desperately need to see God in the ordinary. We desperately need to see God in the ordinary things of our life. And so this whole text is kind of wrapped up this way. Uh, Abimelech, uh, who was a king who had inadvertently taken Sarah into his harem uh, because Abraham had lied about who she actually was. Um, uh, She told told him he was his sister. Uh, So so Abimelech pays a visit to Abraham and he acknowledges and says, okay, I believe that God is actually with you. And he proposes this peace pact. He's like, let's make a treaty because God's with you, I want to be on your side. And so Abraham uses his encounter with Abimelech to talk about this well, you know, that they was that there, there was a little bit of a dispute over and it had been taken from Abraham's servants. And then they formalized this peace agreement and Abimelech leaves and Abraham plants this uh, commemorative tree and he worships the Lord and life goes on. And that's the text. All right, let's pray. 
No, no, we're not done. We got a lot to cover. Shockingly, again, that's the text. And again, I almost skipped it. I almost went into chapter 22 where there's this amazing amazing story of God intervening whenever Abraham is going to sacrifice his son. Everybody knows that story, right? He's, he's taking him up to the hill. And he's going to sacrifice his son. And, and so that, that's the story that we, I was going to preach on today, but I just couldn't get past this particular text. We need to see God in the ordinary. So when you come to a passage like this in the Bible is, why did God include this in the big story? Why was this part of the text that was kept for us to understand the big story? It seemed to me that the answer is, and I believe this is crucial for each of us today, and I've said it already, that we need to see God's faithfulness in the ordinary. And so we see God being faithful apart from Abraham's schemes. If you know anything about this story, if you've been with us as we've preached through this, or if you've watched online as you've preached through this, or some of you are watching online now, and, and, and you know that we've continued to preach through this over and over, there, uh, in Abraham's story, there are two great promises which God made to Abraham. One, he said, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you a son, and he's going to be great, and, uh, and this, uh, the, your descendants will come through this particular son. And then secondly, he said, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you the land of Canaan. And those are the two big promises that God made to him. <clears throat> and in seeking God's help to ensure the fulfillment of both of these, Abraham resorted to his own schemes to get them done. He's like, I know, God, you've promised them to me, but I've got my own plan to bring them about. You probably need some help. The way when I look around and see things happening, it's clear we've gotten off path, that we're in the ditch, and I've got to do this on my own. Uh, And so do any of you ever think that you need to help God with his plans? None of you would ever do that, would you? None of you would ever kind of take the reins by the horn or just kind of of do it on your own and kind of do it. None of you would ever do that, right? Of course not. These are just biblical stories. From our text last week, uh, we, we saw that God had provided Isaac, and he dismissed Ishmael. We talked about that last week in last week's text. So Abraham, from that, would learn this, that God's promises do not depend on human schemes and effort for their fulfillment. God's promises do not depend on human schemes and effort for their fulfillment. That's a good thing. Now, in today's text, without, say without. I need you all to say, without. Without Abraham's initiative or schemes, Abimelech comes and he proposes this peace agreement. So Abraham receives from God what he previously had tried to get through his own deceptive schemes. You see that? In this text today, nobody called Abimelech. Nobody sent anybody out to find Abimelech. He just showed up. Why do you think he showed up? Because God prompted him to show up. Because God was accomplishing his plans all along despite what it was that Abraham was trying to do. How cool is that? That without his schemes, God was at work anyway. God provided needed water. Look, you can't survive without water. They couldn't survive without this well that they talked about in this thing. And so that's really an illustration of this truth that I want you to see. Um, God faithfully provides everything we need for life and godliness so that we can fulfill his purpose. Listen, God faithfully provides everything we need for life and godliness so that we can fulfill his purpose. And so from this text, let's look at a few things that should be reassuring to you and to me 
in 2020. I'm really sorry, folks. Should I gargle it? No, no, I'm not gargling. We're on TV. All right, so we'll start here. God faithfully provides security and protection to accomplish his purposes. Security and protection to accomplish his purposes. I I love where this is going. I already know where I'm going with this point. I'm already excited about it. Um, So uh, one of Abraham's deeply rooted fears as that we see play out in this uh, was God's calling him to leave his homeland and to to go toward this land of Canaan, which he had promised him at the time. And so he was really afraid to take his wife because he's like, the people there are going to take my wife, and when they take her, they're going to kill me. That's what he was afraid of at the time. And because of that fear, when, before they left Haran, he and Sarah worked out this deceptive scheme. I'm going to pawn you off as my sister, and, and that, <clears throat> that's, that, that way they'll think, you know, they won't, even, they won't kill me if they think that you're my sister. And, and so... They tried it a couple of times, but, and, and Abraham, it didn't work a couple of times. Then we get the two words, what? But God, even though despite his deceptiveness, but God, despite what was going on, God chose to step in and, and God would not let them kill. They would not let him take his wife or keep his wife and they wouldn't even take his well, that he would get his well. So he got all the things, not because of his own schemes, but because God had a plan for his life. And so Abraham was surrounded by pagans uh, during this time, and they had no scruples about murdering or plundering wealthy men's property or land or anything at all like that. But Abraham could live securely because God had called him to this, and God had sent him to this, and God was with him. God was continuing to show him that, his, that it was God's hand at work in and all these things. One of the most common uh, or one of the most comforting doctrines of Scripture is the truth of this, that God providentially protects his children. Okay? God providentially protects his children. I, I say this, that a believer could wear a Superman costume pretty much all the time because we are invincible until it's our time to go. All right? We are invincible until it's that time to go. And I say this often, that I am immortal until God says says it's my time. David wrote this in the psalm, if you don't believe what I'm saying, this is what he said. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. What, What the psalmist is saying is this. He says, before I was born, that's the days when there was none of them. When there were days weren't even here, when I was just a twinkle in my daddy's eye, Before my days were ever even formed, the days that were formed for me, they were written. So you kind of read this backwards. You see that? See that? When there was none of them, there were no days, the days that were formed for me, whatever my lifespan is, in your book were written every one of them. We are secure in God's providential care. I read this story that speaks to this truth a few years ago. Uh, this Christian worker was scheduled to fly from New York to Chicago uh, for some meetings, and he was returning home to Los Angeles. And, and his flight from New York was delayed, and, and, so, and then it got canceled, and, uh, and so he would, have to miss, he would have to miss his meeting. And so he changed his plans and flew home to L.A. And two days later, he heard on the news that this flight from Chicago, his flight from Chicago to Los Angeles had actually crashed, the flight that he was supposed to be on. Killed everyone on board. He checked his ticket that he hadn't used, and 
And he realized that if his flight hadn't got canceled, he would have gotten on that particular flight. On the flight that crashed, there was this godly pastor from Southern California. And his plane from Pennsylvania had been late, and a friend who had accompanied him to Chicago, to the Chicago airport, said that he saw him last dashing through the terminal to make his flight home. But in this case, it was his heavenly home. And, and so, why was one Christian man spared while the other Christian man was killed? Why was that the case? Honestly, we won't know God's purposes and things like that until we get to heaven. And honestly, I'm not even sure we'll even care then. But we can have the comfort of knowing that both men were under God's providential care. Both of them. The one that didn't get on the plane because it got canceled. The one that grabbed a seat on the plane and the one that crashed. Both were under God's providential care. We've had our own share of death in our church, and for a church this size over the last two and a half years, I mean, there's been a lot of people who have passed away, moved from this life into the next, and, uh, and so we've had our own share of death, and many of you that in your own families have experienced that in the last few years, and, but we don't despair in that because we rest in the providential care of God. Nothing happens or will happen that is outside of God's plan or provision. All our loved ones were under God's providential care. I I love going to the beach. Who loves going to the beach? Yeah. Who loves going to the mountains? We don't care. Uh, (laughs) Just kidding, 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 kidding. Beach people, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, We love every year to go to like to Orange Beach. And um, even when our kids were young, we would love to go. Even when our kids, you'd have to put them in those little hut things, you know, and they, you know, they wouldn't want to get in the, their sand in their mouth and their, te- you know, all that kind of, you know what I'm talking about. All the annoying things about taking kids to the beach. Uh, but you know how, wh- how it is when you're on the beach with them. Every second that they're there, you know where they are, right? I mean, you, you just know where they are. If, if you, it doesn't matter if you're, they're the three S's that you have. If you put on sunscreen or you build in a sandcastle, you play in spike ball. That's the three S's on the beach, right? Sun, sunscreen, sandcastle, spike ball. It doesn't matter if you're doing any of those things, you know where your kids are. You never lose sight of your kids, right? You, you know where they are. As believers, if we do that as, as fathers, mothers now, as believers, we know that every second of our lives is under the watchful care of our Heavenly Father. Everything. He knows where we are. He knows where you are. He knows the situation that you're in, even today. But not only does God provide uh, security and protection to accomplish His purposes, God does this too. God faithfully provides for our basic physical needs. Um, Whenever they were talking about... um, this well that, that, that needed to happen, Abimelech was like, what you talking about, Abraham? What well are you talking about? And so Abraham said, look, let's make a deal. Uh, I, in my, behind box number two, no, he said, uh, let's make a deal. And he said, I, I've got a deal for you because I need that well. And this is what it says in verse 30. He said, these seven ewe lambs that you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. And he said, look, I'm bringing you some payment for this well. And he said, I want this to be a witness to say that this well belongs to me now. 
And, and so in that desert land, uh, a well was, again, just essential for survival, just like water's uh, essential for us today. But specifically in the desert land, that well was essential for survival, and both for a man's flocks and for a man's family. And, and so now that they've made this covenant, they've secured this, uh, this well for Abraham to have. For Abraham to have. Uh, so through this treaty, God was faithfully providing for Abraham basic physical needs. And again, we learn from this very thing. God faithfully provides for our basic physical needs. You're like, preacher, this is so, this is so basic. It's such a basic sermon. Uh, yeah, it is. We forget these things. We forget that when we get provisions made for us, that it is God who is our provider. It is God making provision for us. Jesus, Jesus taught us to play this way, to pray this way. Give us this day our what? Daily bread. Yeah, give it to us daily. We, we need to trust you daily for our provisions that come. And, and so many of us don't live in that world where we've got to look for daily provisions. Most of us have a pantry stocked full of food. We've got a refrigerator stocked full of food. But there are many who do need to provide that need daily provisions. There are many who go, I'm not sure where my next meal is coming from. And so there are many people, not, in, not only in this world, not only in this country, in our little towns that go, I, I, I'm not sure where my next meal is actually coming from. Let, let me encourage you, Refuge, be a generous people, Okay? Be a generous people. Look for ways to bless others. Be taken advantage of rather than erring on the side of being stingy. You hear me? Err on the side of being generous rather than being stingy. You never know how your generosity may be the way that God chooses to provide daily bread for someone you encounter. You just never know. You don't know that you may be generous enough to put some food on somebody's table that they survive that very night. That they survive for the next three days because of your generosity. Be generous. Don't be stingy. Look for ways to be generous and make provision for others. In living this way, God is at work in and through you. Even when, we just sang it. Even when we don't see it, what? He's working. Even when we don't feel it, here's 10 bucks. Thanks, buddy. He's working. Hey, here's a happy meal. Even when we don't see it, he's working. Something. He's always at work. So God faithfully provides for our protection, for our provision. But he doesn't just provide for us so that we can live in our own comfort, live in our own happiness. This is the other thing we need to see. God faithfully provides so that we can fulfill his purposes. Ah, here's where we're going. God provides for us so that we can fulfill the things that he's called us to do. God has a plan and a mission for each of you. If you're a follower of Jesus, then God has a plan and a purpose for you to fulfill. Not to just do everything for yourself, but a plan and a purpose for you to fulfill. In Genesis chapter 12, uh, God laid out this plan to make, for, for, uh, to make Abraham a great nation and to bless him and to make his name so that great, so that God's blessing would flow to God's people and, and that God's blessing eventually would come through Abraham's descendant, which would be Jesus. And so for these promises to be fulfilled, uh, God had to provide Abraham with a son, which he did in this extraordinary way in, in the birth of Isaac. 
Uh, he had to provide protection for him to get him the land. And he begins this, uh, uh, this rather ordinary way uh, of doing this through this peace process with the king. And it's significant um, that God's blessing to Abraham is evident to this pagan king. Abimelech says this in 21-22, God is with you in all that you do. So, so no, God's, Abimelech saw that God was with him and that God was actually doing some work in and through him. And, and so we don't know how much Abimelech knew about the one true God, but we do know that this, that God made a difference in Abraham's ordinary life. God made a difference in Abraham's ordinary life. Now, this is noteworthy because this text teaches us that on most days, again, Abraham wasn't doing anything very spectacular. Most of the days of his hundreds years old life, he wasn't doing anything really spectacular. He was just living the ordinary, humdrum, day-to-day existence that all of us live. But he was God's number one man on the earth at the time. But he wasn't holding miracle services. He wasn't a TV evangelist. He wasn't building some big sprawling complexes building this house of international ministry. His calendar wasn't full of speaking engagements. He wasn't traveling all over the globe. He wouldn't have much exciting news to uh, report to his monthly supporters on his newsletter. He was simply living his daily life as a friend of God before a watching world. And the world around him could tell Abimelech could tell that God made a difference in his life. Which leads me to this question. Does the world see God in your everyday life? Does the world see God in your everyday life? For God to fulfill his purpose, for God's purposes to come to pass in and around us and among us, And through us, the world should see God in our everyday life. People around you are watching your life if you claim to be a believer. If you claim to be a Christian, listen, if you claim to be a Christian, people are looking at what that looks like. Oh, is that a Christian? That's what a Christian looks like? That guy says, that my high school teammate says he's a Christian. Is that what a Christian looks like? My coworker says she's a Christian, but I hear what she plays on her music. I don't know why I'm looking in this general direction. <laughs> I hear the songs she sings. I see the places that they go. I hear the words that come out of their mouth. I see how they treat people along the way. I see how they treat I see how the young men treat women. I see how the young women speak about men. I see all these things. Refuge Church, people watch you. Not because you go to Refuge Church, but because you claim to be a Christian. People are always watching. They're watching our attitudes, our words, our actions. Are we cheerful? Are we pleasant? Even if we're mistreated, do we respond in kind? Do we respond with the same kind of vitriol that comes our way? Do we badmouth our boss or our coworkers? 
Do we work hard or do we slack off? Are we honest even in small things? The world is watching. and They're looking, does this person really have a spirit-filled life? Or are they just operating out of their flesh? Is that what people see in you? Is that what they see in your social media posts? Do they see you as gospel-saturated or division-generated? Maybe you're shrinking in fear and going, all right, now I'm nervous, preacher, because I'm not perfect. Of course you're not. Nobody expects you to be perfect. That's not the standard for you. You're not going to be perfect. So quit reaching for that. And, and my fear for that is because whenever we, uh, we, we know that we're not going to be perfect, we do two things. One of us pretend to be perfect anyway, and we lie about who we are. We lie about our false comings. We lie about the way we struggle. We lie about our, everything in our life just to keep up this facade of being perfect. Well, just, I just want to tell you this. Everybody can see through it. You ain't fooling nobody with this facade that you're trying to put on. It's crumbling around you, and you don't even know it because you're still working on your facade rather than working on what's going on in your own life. That, that's one person. And then the other of you conclude this. Well, I'm never going to be good enough, and so I'm just not going to say anything until I get all my act together. And the problem with that is you're never going to get your act together. It's never going to be fully enough together where you go, all right, now I've arrived and now I think I can do this. You know what? I am spiritual enough that I can say things about Jesus now. I'm, I'm spiritual enough that I can do it. You're never going to arrive. I don't ever arrive. I'm still striving. I still feel like an infant Christian. That's the way I feel about myself. And so we're all got to strive for that anyway. I, I, and I'm not suggesting that you just go, oh, well, I'll just go on sinning then. That's not what I'm suggesting at all. If you're not dealing with your sin, if you're not putting your sin to death, if you're not seeking a life that is pleasing to God, then you're better off not letting anybody know you're a Christian. What I'm saying this is this. Sinlessness isn't the requirement to be a witness for Jesus. Sinlessness isn't the requirement to be a witness for Jesus. If you've blown it with somebody in the past, just go and repent to them. You don't have to wear a, a, a mask. I mean, well, you do have to wear like a mask in public places. But I mean, you know what I'm talking about, like a mask to pretend you're somebody you're not. You don't have to wear that kind of mask. Wear your mask. Let me sidebar to that really quick. We wear masks for the sake of others. If you're watching this, you're going, I'm not going back to the refuge until we don't wear masks anymore. Let me say this. We wear masks for the sake of others. I don't like to wear a mask. Who likes to wear a mask? Raise your hand. Nobody raises their hand because nobody wants. Drew, you don't like to wear a mask. Oh, wait, he does actually like to wear masks. <laughs> superhero, I'm not talking about superhero masks. <laughs> nobody likes to wear these masks. Nobody does. Whether you believe about what's going on, whether you believe it's a hoax, whether you believe it's some uh, uh, election year hoax, or whether you believe it's some government, small, whatever you believe about it, uh, the reality is nobody likes to wear them. But here's why we wear them. We wear them for the sake of others. In this church building, whenever we come in here, you know why we wear them? Because there are people that want to come and worship Jesus here who have immunocompromised systems. There are people who are 
older than you are, and older people are more susceptible to these. There are people with kidney disease, a.k.a. me, that I can't afford to get sick. It'll kill me. And there are many people like that. So we don't do it for comfort. We don't do it because we're giving in to some left or right wing, whichever side of the aisle you're on, conspiracy theory. We do it because of the sake of loving others. That's what Jesus calls us to do. Why we do it. It's the only reason we do it. That's why we do it, for the sake of others. Stepping down off my soapbox. <laughs> when we're talking about uh, this particular thing about uh, sinlessness isn't the requirement to be a witness for Jesus. Uh, you don't have to put on a front. When I say you don't have to put on a mask, it means you don't have to put on a front. You don't have to pretend that you're somebody that you're not. You don't have to be somebody. You don't have to pretend to be somebody that you're not. Asking someone's forgiveness is, might be the first step for you. If you've sinned against someone, listen to me. Husbands, husbands, listen to me. If you're sinning against your wife by being a jerk, how about you go and ask for, uh, for forgiveness today? Start there. Start a change in your home today, husbands. Wives, if you're sinning against your husbands by being a jerk, how about you repent of that today? Kids, if you're being deceptive, I'll speak to this section over here because I know this group. Kids, if you're being deceptive to your parents and you're not listening to what they do, how about you go to your parents and go, I know you're doing the best that you can do and I know you're trying to love me and care for me the best I can and I'm sorry for being a jerk. That's not happening in my house. I'm just using, <laughs> using it as a general thing. <laughs> Wherever you are, kids. You tracking with me? You tracking with me, church? We don't need to be deceptive. Asking their forgiveness is often the first step in the process of people coming to know Jesus. You've sinned against somebody? Ask them for forgiveness. They may have never seen that happen before. Let's keep going. For God's purposes to be fulfilled through us, we have to walk with God. So here's the question that now. Are you walking with God? Are you walking with God? Abraham was a friend of God. He walked daily with him. He communed with him. And Abraham was far from perfect. We see that all through his, all through his life. But he had a real relationship with God. I mean, Abimelech saw that. He saw him heal Abimelech's uh, 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 slaves and some of his servants. Uh, he saw Abraham and Sarah have a son. And it, it, despite all of his failures, he saw that Abraham actually walked with God. And, and another step in Abraham's walk with God, we see that in verse 33, he plants his tree and he calls on the name of the Lord. He said, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And, and planting this tree was to remind Abraham of God's faithfulness. He's like, I'm putting this down here because God did something and I, I want to remember that God was actually doing something. He was providing living water for me so that I can continue and my people can continue to live. And the point is that God faithfully provides protection and provides for our daily needs. That's what he does. As we walk with him and give him the credit and care for us, as we do these kind of things, we point to God and we point to him and say, he is my provider. He is the one who gives me these things. When we do those kind of things, he uses us. But if we get to that point of going, I'm not the one who's making my own way. I'm not the one who's making my own way. I'm not the one who's making all this happen. When I point to the one who is and I go, you know what? God is using me and, and he's blessing my business and he is blessing my family and he's doing these things. He is the one who uh, is, gets, should get the credit for all these kind of things. He begins to use us. 
He uses us in, the, in, the, in, the, in accomplishing his will and growing his kingdom. You don't need a theological education to be a witness. I mean, your, may, your neighbor may have a PhD and you, you may be a blue-collar worker or wherever you fall somewhere in that spectrum. But no matter what you do, if you have a reality of a walk with God, a faithful walk with God in the ordinary, your neighbor may know, your friend may know that there's something different about you. In the normal things of everyday life, God is still working. Many times my friend Jeremy Rose would say this, when it seemed like God is the least active, it's often that he is the most active. When it seems like he's the least active, kind of in this text, when it seems like there's just nothing really going on, God can actually be the most active. All right, preacher, if God uses us, how does God use us? And that, that's, the, that's the legit question, right? If he really uses us, how does he use us? Well, the way we like to say it here at Refuge is to stop just going to church and start being the church for one another in the city. And so we, we sort it to this, just be the church. Just be the church. Just be the people of God. How does he use you? He uses you in the everyday things of life. This is what Abraham was doing in this, in this Genesis text, living his ordinary life, doing ordinary things, just being obedient to God in the hundreds of years that he was living. He was just the ordinary things. He was just being obedient to God. And the way we do you, a way that we encourage you to do this thing is to do this. Live all of life with gospel intentionality. Live all of your life. I believe that's the way Abraham lived, that he lived his entire life with gospel intentionality. He lived, he lived his entire life knowing that God was his salvation, that God was his hope, that he had no hope in his lies, no hope in his deception, no hope in anything else, but God was his provision. And so he lived his life. He didn't know the gospel back then, but he knew God. But we know the gospel today, that there's hope found only in Jesus. And so we live our lives so that our lives demand an answer. Do you see that? How do you do it? Verse 22 says, God is with you in all, say all, all that you do. Well, preacher, don't I need some specialized training to do this? Nope. Just being a disciple, look and pay attention. Uh, 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 look and, and listen to the things that are going on around you and know that God is with you in all that you do. Well, preacher, what if I'm fearful? Or what if I'm afraid I'm going to fail? Or what if I'm afraid that I'm going to look foolish? Well, get over yourself. Get over yourself. Be a fool for Jesus. If that's what it takes. But just know that God is with you in all that you do. The whole purpose for this message is this. God's at work in the ordinary. Look, look we, we don't do things big and flashy around here. And we don't for a very specific reason. I, I don't need you to be distracted by anything except the gospel. I, I don't need you to be, I don't need you to come because it's nice and pretty here. Because it ain't. Okay? Ugliest building in Lakeland. Amen? Yeah, you can say it. It's okay. You hurt my feelings? Ugliest building in Lakeland. Best message in Lakeland. Not because of preacher, because we preach the gospel. We preach the gospel. And there's hope found in Jesus. Those of you who are lost, you can be found. Those of you who are outside the household of faith, 
You can be part of the household of faith today. You can know that, you're, that your future is secure. Those of you who are in crappy marriages today, those can be reconciled. Those of you who, uh, those of you who are wayward today, who are running in your own direction, you can be found today. Those of you who need reconciliation, you can find it today. You can find whatever it is that, you're, that, that needs to happen in your life. You can find that today in Jesus. That is my hope for each of us, is that we know that we don't have to turn to our own schemes. We don't have to turn to our own devices. But the hope for each of you is in a life following Jesus. Now, and to be ordinary people fulfilling his purpose. Some of you, though, need to become Christians. Listen, last thing I'm going to say. Some of you need to become Christians. Some of you are religious. Some of you aren't even religious. You're just kind of here because you had to be here. But some of you are religious. Some of you have even been baptized before, and, and so you're kind of going through this whole thing. You think you're a Christian, but if you look at your life, there's nothing that looks like a Christian. You're, you're kind of the antithesis or the opposite of being a Christian. And so some of you need to become Christians today. Some of you need to repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus and know that he is your only hope, not in your showing up at church, not in your some, some, something you recited somewhere along the way, but a real relationship with the God of the universe, that, of the God who is alive. You need to trust him today. And so we're going to pray here in just a minute. We're going to give you that opportunity to go, I want to become a Christian today. What's going to happen? I'm going to stand back in front of that sound booth, and, and some of you need to come back there and go, hey, Pastor Scott, I want to become a Christian today. Man, that would be awesome. That would be amazing to pray with you and to, and to show you and, and, and be with you as you repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus. We're going to give you that opportunity today. Let me, let me pray for us.